Hello, everyone out there in podcast world. Hope you're having a great day. You're listening to the Service Business Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Church Blissett. Today's episode is a special one. It's not our typical, let's talk about Excel spreadsheets type stuff, but it's very important to us as business owners, especially if you're in the air conditioning business. There's something that I know personally that I've dealt with in the past. I've struggled with myself and that's just home building expert, home performance experts type situations. Whenever somebody asks me about indoor air quality, I'm like, uh, I don't really have any idea. Whenever they're talking about like, well, is gas furnace or heat pump better? Then it's like, you have a gas furnace now. I can quote you on a gas furnace replacement coming to me for advice as to why a heat pump is more efficient or better to use or to operate versus a furnace. I'm not very good at that conversation. I know a lot of my friends and listeners are the exact same as me. And so I'm honored to have Nate Adams here. And he's going to talk a little bit about what we have going on. And a lot of this stuff's going to go way over my head. But I'm going to try and not sound very stupid here on this episode. So there might be some smiling and some nodding, but I might not understand completely. <laughs> Anyways, welcome to the show, Nate. Hey, thanks, Tersh. Don't worry about that, man. Like we were talking about just beforehand, there's mechanics and there's engineers. I joke with people, I'm not a tech. So if you give me a broken furnace or a heat pump, you're going to get the dumbest look you've ever seen. (laughs) But I'm pretty good at sizing them and commissioning them and getting a house air sealed. So that's where my expertise lies. Perfect. We just have to work together. I'm a little bit more of an engineer. You're a little bit more of a mechanic. And I think we should play together more because it's fun. Absolutely. So tell everybody that's listening that may not know you or may not be familiar with what you do. Tell us a little bit about your background, you, where you're from and everything. I'm going to go back a little bit further because this is service business mastery. I come from an entrepreneurial family. My family had a machine shop. My dad restored really high-end antique cars, like a quarter million dollar car in the 80s was a cheap car in the shop. So I got out of college and my dad was tired of business. And he kind of forked the reins over to me way too fast. So I'm 23 years old trying to run a million and a half dollar company. And it wasn't good, we'll just say. (laughs) But I learned a lot. So from the operations perspective, I at least have a basic grasp of the numbers because a business is a business is a business in back office. It's accounts receivable, it's accounts payable, it's profit margins. What you do is different, but the numbers are all the same. That's Just to give you an idea, that's where the operation side, I have at least some grasp. It's not perfect, but some grasp. Then I worked for a fiberglass manufacturer in outside sales, selling fiberglass to insulation contractors. Oh, cool. In four different states. Then you may have heard of the little housing crash. (laughs) Never heard of that. (laughs) In 2009, I lost my job, got laid off. And then two weeks later, my wife, who is a web and user experience designer, lost her job. So we're like, geez, what are we going to do? And I started a little retrofit insulation company just so we could do something and make money and not be one of 500 resumes on somebody's desk. Oh, yeah. And then a little bit into that, I met this energy auditor who started teaching me about home performance and air sealing and blower doors. And I went and I got trained. I got a BPI building analyst, which is something that I do recommend. The training's good. The certification doesn't really matter. I started doing better work as an insulation contractor, but my margin started getting squeezed because I couldn't charge to do the work. And I was working 80 hours a week to keep a crew working 30, and I despised my life. And then my wife was pregnant. Oh, yeah. Just everything happens. 
just like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a little much. We started backing off in the insulation company. And then I met my business partner, Ted Kidd, at that point. And he started teaching me home performance. And then we have been developing out this process. Because like Brian Orr the other day made a comment, like I try and deal with the perfectionism of the building performance people and I decided to heck with it. I'm just going to do whatever I can. Oh, yeah. And I understand that sentiment. And a lot of it is because it's big and it's complicated. And like if you watch somebody like Corbett Lunsford is a heck of a diagnostician. He's way better than me. But no one can really do all of the diagnostics and understanding and teaching in a very short period of time. So what we've found is to be able to sell home performance, and we don't really sell it, so we just educate and offer options, and then people just start doing choose their own adventure until the next thing you know, you sell a big project. But you didn't sell it, you just offered, and then they said yes. So if you slow the process down and break it down into smaller steps, it is not incredibly difficult, and then you don't need Michael Jordan-level talent to be able to do it. We want the JV team to be able to be successful at this. Yeah, I mean, it's like a Michael Gerber type mentality. I mean, have you listened to or read his book, The E-Myth Revisited? You know what? I haven't, and I really need to, because I've heard so many entrepreneurs say, you really got to do The E-Myth, and I read a lot, and I have not read that one. It is. It's great. But one of the things he really harps on with that is if you created so many policies and procedures in place that you don't have to hire the top technicians to ensure that you're having consistent and reliable results because your procedures are what's consistent. And then you can get your JV talent to come in and do exactly what you need done correctly every time. Perfect. So yeah, my family companies were both manufacturing aside from the car restoration. So that makes total sense to me. Toyota production system. Absolutely. So John Tooley, who is a building performance guy who focuses on process a great deal, and he talks a lot about the Toyota production system, he reiterated what I see all the time, which is don't blame people, blame process. Exactly. If something's failing consistently, it's usually a process failure. So how can you fix that? So that's what we've been working on. So like the home performance process, once you get what we call an initial consultation sold, you're in the process and you're just kind of along for the ride. Like just follow the script, do your job, and it'll be fun. And the odds are a project will happen. Sweet. So you actually will sell the initial consultation also? Yes. Okay. The way that we've built our company is not the way that it's going to work in HVAC. My practice is called Energy Smart Home Performance, our practice. And the website is energysmartohio.com. So if you want to go check that out, there's a ton of content there. So it's one of the better home performance sites on the internet. So we get a lot of hits and I get enough leads from that that we don't spend a penny on marketing. All of our leads come directly through the website. That's it. That's not a scalable thing. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you can't do that as an HVAC guy. Like you're going to be in somebody's house. You need to talk to them, at least make them aware of a home performance offering. Yes. So what we've been trying to figure out is the bridge from HVAC to home performance. And there's a couple of different pieces of it. The, the main piece is you want to have an offer. So we call them path A, path B. Path A is a free quote which is just standard, like you're used to doing, hey, you got an 80,000 BTU furnace and a three-ton air conditioner, I'll quote you on replacing those with the same thing. 
just plain old. Or Mr. and Mrs. Jones, you mentioned that this room doesn't heat or cool well, and you've had a mold issue over here, so the house may not be dehumidifying well enough. Would you have any interest in digging deeper into that and possibly making a plan for how to actually deal with the root causes of those? Okay. And then you just go into and charge the for making the plan, creating the plan? Yes. We should probably talk just a little bit about what the home performance process looks like. Yes. So there's four phases to it. There's a bunch of steps within the phases, but there's four phases. So the first phase is the initial consultation. And what you're trying to do there is determine, is there a viable project? So you have to sketch out, like, what are the client goals? So what bothers them about their house? And these need to be emotional. You have to get clients to get out of their full rational place like good goals are my partner had a wonderful one. One of his clients really liked to bake bread and the kitchen was so cold in the wintertime that their bread wouldn't proof. So one of the goals was to get the bread to rise so they could bake bread all winter. And he was successful and they were tickled. That's an emotional goal, not a rational one. Efficiency, nobody cares. People say they care <laughs> about efficiency, but as soon as you raise energy efficiency, they're like, so what's the payback? Exactly. And it's like the payback on our projects is generally between 50 and 500 years. <laughs> if you are honest about it, yeah, like that's not why you do it. Now you get a bonus. So like we're going to do this project and you're going to save 20 or 30 or maybe 50 bucks a month. Or if you've got oil heat, maybe you save a hundred, but that's not why you do it. So you have to stay out of the rational stuff and stay in the emotional. So you want to know what their emotional goals are. You need to understand what the needs of the house are. And something that does kind of amaze me is that more HVAC contractors are not doing blower door tests. Yeah. Because it's such a huge portion of load. It's like 30 exactly. to 70% of load. So if you don't know that, you really can't size accurately. You just can't. You're going to be plus or minus a ton, maybe a ton and a half. And then if you get a blower door, you can be plus or minus three or 5,000 BTUs. Yeah. It's crazy because you can look at ductwork and then here it's mostly metal with some wrap on it. And those joints, you can't see the joints underneath the wrap. So they could be leaking straight into the insulation. Yep. And are most of your ducts in the attic? Yes. Yep. So there you go. In northern climates, our ducts are almost all inside the house. So if they leak, it's not the end of the world. But if you have a duct outside the thermal envelope where you're not heating and cooling it, oh man, can that cause trouble? That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Whew, can it cause trouble? You need to understand what the house needs are. So you have to figure out goals, house needs, and then you need to talk about budget. What is it worth to solve these emotional problems? So you get to play shrink to some degree as well and marriage counselor which is always kind of interesting. But at the initial, you're trying to sketch those out. So you ask them a bunch of questions. What are their goals? You do a blower door test. You take a look at their HVAC system. And then you have a brief budget discussion that has zero commitment, none whatsoever. It's just, is this worth 50 bucks a month? Then it, we should do space heaters, window units, and air filter. Right. That's all we can do. And they're like, whoa, 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 I want to do more. Like, well, then we need to discuss budget. It's funny when people are like, it costs what it costs. I'm like, so if you go to an architect and you ask for a dream house, is he going to ask you what your budget is? Mm -hmm. He better. Are we talking a $300,000 dream house or a $2 million dream house? Exactly. Like they are very different animals. So you need to understand, is there a viable project? Do you have some likelihood of solving their problems with what the house needs solved within a budget that they are okay with? That's the initial, is trying to figure out, is there a viable project? Can you get those three to cross if you think of those like a Venn diagram with three circles crossing? Gotcha. So that's the first phase. Second phase is the comprehensive planning process. 
And that starts with an energy audit. But the whole point of that is to figure out what is the viable project? What does it actually look like? And you mentioned earlier, like it's kind of freaky trying to talk about building performance and understand things. The main reason is you're trying to go too fast. (laughs) That's very true because in the service industry with HVAC, you don't get typically paid to sit there and develop the relationship and all that, unless you've really built that into the culture of your business. As soon as you're done changing that capacitor out, cleaning that coil, you're on to the next client. Not to mention, you probably have four or five that are waiting on you afterwards. You're running and gunning. Yeah. So that's how it has to work. So I understand that. Plus, you can't do a lot of free consulting. You will go out of business. Absolutely. I mean, there's guys out there that you'll talk to them and they'll talk to a homeowner for an hour after they finish the service call and then wonder why they can't make any money. Well, you're giving away an hour's worth of free advice. And granted, you like to talk, I understand that, and you like to develop relationships, but if it's not paying off some kind of way, that's why you're going to go out of business. Yeah, it's no bueno. You want to be nice while still being a capitalist. Absolutely. 100%. You got to stay in business in order to stay nice forever. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Losing money is not sustainable. So that was what we had to try and figure out. So the comprehensive planning process, figuring out what the viable project is, you do an audit, which actually, as soon as we're done with this, I'm driving to go do one. And it's like minus three out today. So ugh. Oh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, all of our heat pump systems are hammer and resistance right now, but everybody's holding set point. They won't like their bill for the day, but their houses aren't sliding. They like their bills the rest of the time. Anyway, I got to go do the audit and understand the house well enough to be able to figure out what is it likely to take to solve the problems that these clients have. So you're trying to figure out what the different measures are and then what will fit within a budget that we talked about. So that's what you're trying to do. Second phase is what is the plan? We do an energy model. So we get an understanding of what's the load calc today and what will be the load calc after air sealing and insulation, a likely package so that we can choose what piece of equipment we're going to use. Okay. So whenever you're doing this, this is at the point to where they need to replace their system anyways, or are you doing this on four and five-year-old pieces of equipment also? It depends. Crazy story. Very first furnace that I'm doing air quotes sold because I didn't sell it. I just talked. They chose to do it. It was a client with a 3,300 square foot house built in the mid 90s, late 90s, and their second floor wouldn't heat. So the problem was they had a 120,000 BTU two-stage furnace in a house that had a load of about 60. And that's at six degrees. That's our design temp here. They had just bought that furnace three years earlier and they replaced that $5,500. Like it was a nice train, 95% two stage. Variable speed. Yeah. Like that was a nice furnace. And we changed it out, ironically enough, with a Goodman that was 40% smaller. Wow. Okay. So as a technician mindset, you would think, yeah, it might cycle on and off a couple more times, but it's going to have a lot more BTU capacity. So it should heat the space up a lot better. You'd think that, but it's important that you think about the longer duct runs. If it's a long duct run, when you're putting BTUs through it, you have to heat up the duct run. So typically your furthest out points have higher heating loads. Like it consistently works that way. You got a room with three sides exposed to the outdoors versus two, whatever it might be. So you want to load match as tightly as you can. Ideally, you want the equipment to never, ever shut off. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because 
that's something that we're constantly dealing with with clients now is we're putting in a true variable speed. So we're putting in systems that are, whether it's a train, because we're a train dealer, but we've put in a couple of Bosch's also and explaining to them that, hey, this system's not going to shut off. Okay. And then they're like, wait, this is supposed to be a little bit more efficient. I was like, it's not going to shut off and it's more efficient. It's kind of hard to explain, (laughs) but it's just, yeah, exactly. That's typically how I go about it is you're not stopping and going in traffic. You're just setting a cruise control and it's just ramping up and ramping down as you go up and down the hills. And that's the best way for me to explain it. But some people just cannot grasp that. They're used to having an old R22 single stage 10 seer system that if it runs all day long, they're about to have a $600 or $700 a month electric bill on a 1100 square foot house. So whenever you t- you're putting it in the system and you're like, so this system's a little bit smaller and it's going to run all day long and all this other stuff. And then it's like their head is exploding right in front of you. And you're like, do I need to call the EMS? So would you say that that's an education problem? Yes, 100%. And typically after we had the conversation about typically like setting your car on cruise control, they're okay with it, but they still don't believe it until they get their electric bill. And sometimes they're perfectly fine with it. But occasionally I'll have that one client that's like, I'm not really buying that. And I've gone to the point because only because I've actually inspected it myself. I knew that the heat strips weren't running at the same time as the outdoor unit or something crazy, because that does happen here a lot especially whenever you have hacks installing systems. But I've gone out there myself and inspected it. And so I'll tell them, hey, look, whatever your first month's electric bill is, if it's above your normal rate for the last year, then I'll pay it. I'll pay the difference. And typically I'll get a phone call. But a lot of times I don't get a phone call back at all. I'll have to call them to chase them down to tell them for them to admit that I was right. But from time to time, they'll call back and say, yeah, you were right. It went down or it was the same, but I was comfortable the whole time versus being hot. So. Yeah. And that's an education problem. So let's put a pin in that. We'll come back and finish the steps. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Because yeah. I wrote a book that's for this. <laughs> you can give away chapters for free, no strings attached. I don't know what more you want. Exactly. We'll come back to that. So after you do the energy model, you have an idea of what the load calcs are going to be. You put together packages for the client. We do three packages. So we actually start with one that's way the heck out there. It might be a $100,000 package. It's something stupid. I describe it to clients as we're going to go to the Chevy dealership and we're going to drive the Corvette because it's fun. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to go <laughs> home in the four-door. There's some four-doors that are pretty fun. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> I had Subaru WRXs. You don't have to tell me that. But they broke all the time. <laughs> That's the original fun four-door car there. (laughs) You're talking to a true gearhead here. I grew up loving four wheels. Um, I love them too. And it's kind of all over the map now because I want an electric car now, which basically leaves me with a Tesla. And I don't want to fork over 50 grand. That Tesla will flat roll. I've watched you mentioning your Tesla stuff online on Facebook and stuff. And those Teslas are no joke, especially that big one. Yeah. The Model S with like a 230 to 60. (laughs) <laughs> but that's a $160,000 car. I paid one hundred thirty for my house. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, let's justify that with the wife. No, really no, it, it is a car. It's not, we can live in it. <laughs> you can camp in them. My partner is actually driving south with his fiance right now, and they are car camping. It's battery powered, so you can have the HVAC running. You plug the thing in and you charge it up slowly overnight while it keeps you warm or cold. 
That's so funny. And no worries about carbon monoxide poisoning. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to worry about dying. Kind of a nice thing. That is nice going to sleep, not worrying about dying. Yes. Yes. Bonus. <laughs> we get off that tangent. Yeah, yeah. We need to come back on that. So you go back to the clients and you walk them through these different packages. When we design them, we start with a far out one and then we start slicing things off until we get back to something that's reasonable. Then we slice down to the final, which is the budget package. And we hope it doesn't always happen. Sometimes we have to break budget because we don't feel like we can get the high likelihood of success within their budget. And we only talk likelihoods, by the way. This is, I call myself a house whisperer. We are doctors for houses. And like a doctor is not going to say on pain of death, this treatment will work. (laughs) Right, right. Because that's how you get sued. Yeah, exactly. These are crazy complicated things. In fact, the more science that's done on how houses work, Oftentimes, the more confused the scientists end up being, it ends up being more complicated than they expected. Yeah. So with that being said, I've listened to lots of podcasts on how science, Mm -hmm. whether it's Bill, whenever you and Bill and Michael, y'all guys get together and start talking, y'all are like way over my head, but it is fun to act like I kind of understand some of it. But I've listened and heard that a lot, that the more people dive into how houses are built versus for a hundred or 200 years, they've been built the same way, very little redesign. And then now they're diving into it and it's making it more and more confusing the more they dive into it, even with asphalt shingles and stuff like that. So I totally get what you're saying there. Yeah. It's complicated. You have to think in odds. That's part of why you have to do careful planning because you want to step back and think for a while. And one of the big rules of the initial consult is no solutions will be discussed. It's kind of like going to the doctor and you suspect you have cancer. The doctor is not going to declare within two minutes of you walking through the door that you have cancer. He's going to ask you for your family history. He's going to send off a blood test and then he's going to order more tests. And then eventually it's going to come back like, okay, so you have this or whatever's going on. So I know that's kind of a harsh example. See, I always thought that a doctor was just trying to rack my bill up. (laughs) Sometimes that may be the case, but they should be just trying to diagnose you carefully. There's a great saying in the medical field, which is diagnosis without prescription is malpractice. So if you are prescribing solutions and guaranteeing results without doing good diagnosis, you're committing malpractice. I like it. So you come back at the end of the comprehensive planning process and you talk to the homeowners about what the packages look like and you explain why each line item's in there. I give them two prices. I give them a contractor price, like we've got high odds of getting this item done for this cost. Or like in HVAC, I'll give them two different levels. I'll give them the top of the line and then one step down as options. Or if they're DIYers, I'll be like, it's 2500 bucks to blow your attic. Or if you want to do it yourself, it's 1200 bucks. It's going to take you a Saturday. Is it worth a grand to do that? And sometimes people are like, yeah, okay, for a thousand bucks, I'll do it. And other people are like, eh, I'll just pay it. Yeah, I, I value my time a little bit more than a thousand dollars. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So Or value not falling through a ceiling. Yes. Cool. So is that all of step two? Yep, that's phase two. Phase three is doing the project, which also includes quality control, quality control as things are being done, and then quality control afterwards. I usually find a little bit more air sealing work at the end of the project. I want to go back the day after all the work's done when I'm not tired and lazy. Oh, yeah. Wore out at the end of the day. Yeah. Seven o'clock at night, five o'clock at night. It's Miller time. Yeah. It is not time to do your best work. You need to go home and enjoy your family. If you find that there's more ceiling that has to be done, typically, is that included in your initial 
fee or are you going back to the homeowner and saying, hey, I missed this and I have to charge more for it? I try to include that in the fee. Gotcha. That's a whole nother discussion on that. We can get to that because I don't know exactly how that's going to apply with HVAC. You'll want to charge a project management fee in addition to everything. So like potentially it would be kind of a crazy thing, but you could end up project managing another HVAC company. Oh yeah. Like if they went for another bid and they chose somebody else, but they kept you as project manager. Yeah. They really trusted your expertise, but they wanted somebody else to do the actual work. Yes. So that's a possibility, but you'll get paid. So I charge anywhere between two and $6,000 for project management, but it's a lot of work too. So it's like 30 to 80 hours work. That's a whole nother story. Once the project's done, then we do what's called continuous optimization. And that's where the real learning comes from. Because now you've got data loggers and you're asking the client for how are things going on a cold day? So like I'm getting a ton of communication right now because I'm hearing how houses are performing. And then we've got air quality monitors out there so I can get an idea of what's going on. Are we keeping their house healthy? And this is how we have learned so quickly is we are rabid about finding feedback loops and learning from them. Oh, that's good. You call that continuous what? Optimization. Optimization. Okay. Yep. That's Linda Wigington who founded, well, it's actually the Affordable Comfort Institute, which is kind of the trade association trade show of the home performance world. She founded that. And then she also is doing the Thousand Home Challenge, which is looking to get 70% energy reduction out of a house. So she knows how to do some pretty crazy stuff. And that was actually her term because consumers don't know what commissioning means. But it's continuous commissioning. But if I call it continuous optimization, light bulbs go off. Where if I call it continuous commissioning, I get dumb looks. <laughs> yeah, totally good. Continuous it. optimization it is. Well, it's funny because with the engineer mindset, sometimes people will, like, especially the engineers, they'll use industry-specific terminology. And then as a homeowner, I'm like, I don't want to look stupid, so I'm not going to stop him. But I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> that was really smart of her to definitely change that up. That's Linda for you. She's also doing a really killer air quality project called Rockus, R-O-C-I-S. It's reducing outdoor contaminants in indoor spaces. Really fascinating work. So a couple of the air quality monitors, I did a review of a bunch of the new consumer grade air quality monitors, and several of them were from that project. She was kind enough to lend them to me. Any kind of data logging you can get into a client house, do so. Even if you're putting in basic equipment, put an Ecobee thermostat in because they track runtime. So you go look at runtime on a really hot or a really cold day, find a design day, look back at what's going on. You have to get the login from the client. So you have to ask them for that. But most clients, like if you show interest in following up, they'll just be like, sure, here's the login. But if you go look at what the runtime is on a design day, you'll start to get really confident in your sizing. What program are you using to size? We use Treat, which is an energy modeling software that was developed for a New York program because my partner lives in New York. That's T-R-E-A-T? Yes. Don't ask me what it stands for. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm sure it stands for something. <laughs> yeah. It's a powerful but horrible piece of software. I don't recommend anybody actually learn to use it. You guys have WriteSoft, which is an amazing piece of software. Like That's really complicated, but very, very powerful. And then you can do your duct designs and everything else on there. Treat doesn't let you do duct designs. But what Treat is good at is figuring out load calcs and like what happens if we insulate to R20? What happens if we insulate to R60? What happens if we don't do the walls? What happens if we do do the walls? What happens if we hit this blower door or that blower door? So it's really good at what-ifing. 
and running multiple packages. It's good for us, but it was originally developed for Windows 3.1, and you can tell it's awful. Yes. But it's powerful. And then you, if you understand where some of the weaknesses are in the model, because every model has weaknesses. Yep. Great phrase I heard about it is all models are wrong, but some are useful. That's a very good point because that's the same with CRMs. I don't want to get off on the topic, but there's some guys who get mad at CRM services because it doesn't fit all of their needs, but they couldn't fit everybody's every need or else the CRM would be so ridiculously expensive that nobody could then afford it. Precisely. Same basic concept. Cool. So is that all of phase three? Yeah, well, actually we're into phase four. So phase three is do the project. Phase four is continuous optimization. Oh, okay. Okay. I totally skipped that. So phase four is continuous optimization. Okay. And then you're done. Typically, we'll do a little bit of work with a client, say it's done in the summer. We'll get their house optimized for summertime, and then we'll wait until winter and we'll help them tweak the house for winter. And then usually we're done. But the nice part is you get good relationships out of this. Like I have breakfast with one of my clients from 2014. And like every couple of months we get together for breakfast. Like you get these really nice relationships that are deep and real. And that was something I missed being a contractor. An analogy that I use, and if you can think of a better one, please let me know because it's a touch on the crass side. But imagine you're back being 22 years old and you walk into a bar and you see a cute girl. You really have two main paths to choose. You can choose the one night stand path or you can choose the relationship path. Very true, very true. Once you choose one of those paths, it's really hard to change. And what I found in contracting was I felt like it was all one night stands. And then it was like, if I see you in the grocery store, I'm going to try and go the other way. (laughs) That's not how I want to feel. Yeah. Awkward. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh yeah, that one time. Oh man. But when you're doing continuous optimization, if a client costs you 15 minutes a year in a phone call, do you care? Exactly. The thing about it is, is, and I believe this wholeheartedly. But as a contractor, we're so guilty of not following this. I myself am even guilty of it, even though I believe it so strongly. And it's so much cheaper to keep them than get a new one. And even if they don't spend money with you, if you can blow them away, if they become a raving fanatic, then they will sell you to everybody they know. Do you own a yellow tux? (laughs) (laughs) That is one of my BFFs, that's for sure. Uh, Jesse is so awesome. I'm so glad you had him on. I see him all the time. Jesse and Jared. And Jared's been on the show too. And he pulls the strings from behind the curtain. So him and Jesse have such a matching personality. It's really awesome that I'm able to spend so much time with those two guys. That's so cool. Yeah. Finding partners you like playing with is so important. We'll come back to that in a minute. Playing off what you're talking about there. One of the key goals that we have with Home Performance 2.0 is to deliver nine or 10 net promoter score experiences to everyone. And you're probably no net promoter score, right? Yeah. But for anybody that doesn't. Yeah. So you've probably seen the question, how likely are you to recommend our services to your friends and family on a scale of zero to 10? If you get a zero to six, somebody's mad. They don't like you. They're probably going to be telling their friends bad things about you. So you don't want a zero to six. But you also don't want a seven or eight. Those are neutrals because they're just going to be like, meh, but they're not going to help your business grow. They're going to be like, yeah, it was fine, but they're not going to go out of their way to tell somebody about you. If you get a nine or a 10, then you've got your raving fanatic fans. And that's what you want to build. You want to deliver really good experiences. But how we think about this, because Home Performance 2.0, it will eventually be a two-sided platform like an Airbnb. 
So like Airbnb matches guests and hosts together and then puts them through a process so that it's a nice experience for everyone. We want everyone involved in a project to enjoy the process. If you are the one that's on the HVAC side or the home performance side, we want you to enjoy your life. And if you are the homeowner, we want you to enjoy the process and enjoy the results. And if that works, you don't have to spend nearly as much on marketing. 100%. I mean, especially like you were talking before about not spending any money. Yeah, on marketing. If I need to turn the lead flow up, I'm going to need to spend some money on marketing. But for now, it's fine for keeping me busy because I spend half my time on projects and about half my time on trying to figure out Home Performance 2.0 unpaid, which is going to need to shift here in the future. But we needed to get it to be good enough so that we could deliver 9 or 10 net promoter scores for HVAC contractors. And until we got there, we didn't have something that could grow. And we're just arriving at that point, I think. Yeah, it sounds like Jim Bergman with the Measure Quick app. And he's, for the past several years, he's been just trying to get it to that experience level. And now it's there. So he can start making some money on it. Precisely. In fact, he just called me this morning. <laughs> so oddly enough, he doesn't call super often, but he and Bill Spohn are now sharing a building. And Bill's office building, turns out it has resistance electric in the office. And that is not good <laughs> cost-wise. <laughs> It's a very expensive form of heat. So he's like, I was thinking about this. So anyway, yeah, Jim is really focused on it. It's amazing how responsive he is on Facebook. It is so funny because he is such like a God among mortals. At least that's the way we all see him. And then you see a post by me or Brian or anybody, and then he's cracking a joke towards one of us. Or like me and Andrew were taking a selfie, and Andrew's brother-in-law, Brian, were taking a selfie at the HR Expo. And then Jim just pops in there to do a photo bomb. And it's like, Jim, you're not supposed to be that guy. You're supposed to be this like super nerd engineer that has no personality. <laughs> he definitely has a personality. So... He's a great guy. He's a great guy. He totally cracks me up. He's a good person to have a discussion with because you can have a good, I think the word's didactic discussion. It's like a proper argument where you aren't calling the other guy names. You're dealing with the points. Swinging at each other at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not insulting sisters or mother's honor. It's funny because when you have a conversation like that, it's like, I think that I was just wrong, but I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> this is not right. <laughs> That's a good discussion. Those are fun to have. And unfortunately, they're pretty rare anymore. Very true. Very true. Do you want to talk about like what 2.0 looks like for an HVAC contractor? Yes. Yes. Because that's who's listening. That's most of your people are going to be your contractors, whether they're in HVAC. Now, there may be some people out there that are listening that might not have their HVAC license, but they may want to get into this. So potentially they could sub out the HVAC portion of it. Is that correct? Oh, 100%. That's what I do. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. So they could even go that route. So maybe they're really interested in the home performance portion of it. And then if you could give some tips on that also. So we can start with pain points or however you want to start with it. The basics of it, like we were talking about earlier, is the AB choice, plan A, plan B, path A, path B, whichever way you want to call it. So would you like a free quote? That's what most people do. Or you've got this issue over here. Would you like to try and dig into that somewhat? And that's the initial consultation. We're charging like 250 to 350 bucks, something like that. And then the comprehensive planning process is like a grand 1500, something like that. So part of the goal of those, like you were talking about earlier, is to cover the cost of the time for doing diagnostics. Because I don't know that it's going to be a huge profit center, but it's something that usually costs you money. 
sales time costs you. If money. you can at least break even on it, then you're good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's possible to drive sales costs negative. Don't know how many people will do it, but it's possible. So that's one piece of it. But it all starts at the beginning. So if you're interested in Home Performance 2.0, we keep moving the bar higher and higher of what it takes to get in because people are getting more and more interested and we're still in beta phase. So we can only handle so many people and we're still getting the process smoothed out. So we're concierging everything and everything's a ton of work to do the way that we're doing. And once we get it a little bit further sorted, we'll automate it and turn it into a proper process. But for now, we're doing it all solo. But what we encourage people to do is I wrote a book called The Home Comfort Book. It should be helpful to anyone who's listening to this. What I found in trying to understand home performance is that there was no on-ramp to understanding it. Everything was like 301, 401 level stuff, or it would be, here's an article on, I joke like, we're going to learn the field of medicine. And today we're going to talk about aspirin. And tomorrow we're going to talk about the femur. And you're like, whoa, 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 I need a framework so I can understand what the heck's going on. Can you talk to me about the human body and the systems and how all that works? So that didn't exist. And I looked. I didn't want to write a book, but it didn't exist. It was not your ego feeding that you needed your name on a book's title. No, no. It's a, well, it hasn't been tremendously profitable yet anyways. But my wife is like, this is going to make a whole lot of money. And I'm like, eh, maybe. Yeah, it's a pretty niche audience. <laughs> But basically what it does is assume that you're A, intelligence, and B, that you know nothing about building performance, home performance. Okay, cool. So that's perfect. That's right up most people's alley that are HVAC contractors. Yes. So if you're an HVAC contractor, you can read it and be like, oh, so that's how all that stuff works. But also I wrote it for homeowners and then it's turned out a bunch of HVAC contractors have liked it, but the homeowners like it too. Yeah, I have noticed that Michael has been sharing it with homeowners as far as like needing advice and stuff. And I thought that was weird the first time that he mentioned that. For those of you who don't know, Michael House, he is an HVAC contractor and he's really active in our community, whether it's online or just helping out in general. And he mentioned a while back when the book first came out and he got it and read it and he was mentioning that he shares a few chapters of it with clients all the time. And it took me back to start with because I was like, I wonder if it's over their head. So obviously, like you said, it's meant for people that don't really know about home performance. Exactly. It's starting from zero, which is where we all have to start. And the resource never existed. So the two first chapters are Home Comfort 101, which do not send out unless you want to get into home performance because you will open a can of worms. <laughs> so be careful with that one. But the second chapter, HVAC 101, it's a really simple premise. Have you thought about how good the HVAC system is in your car? So it has variable fan speed. It has variable output. It has dehumidification on demand that looks like the air conditioner button. It has fresh air. It has filtration on the fresh air. Then it also has where you can aim where the flows are going. So you can mix and deliver to wherever you want. It's an amazing piece of HVAC. Right. Amazing. <laughs> Why hasn't that been in the house industry? Man, it's, I say there's six different things an HVAC system should be able to do, and most houses can't do any, and all cars can do five. Right. <laughs> so you should be able to do load matching, filtration, dehumidification, fresh air. You need to be able to put it right place at the right time, and then humidification in some cases. Those are the six things. And the only thing that a car can't do is humidification. Well, here... I've installed one humidifier in the past 15 years, and that guy called me and told me to come take it out. <laughs> 
Yep. So that's another important point that we've learned about 2.0, which is you need to have boots on the ground. We don't know your housing stock. Housing stock everywhere in the country is different and has different issues. So we've tried doing some remote work and just decided this is too much work. It sucks. It's not satisfying and we don't get paid enough. But aside from that, it's great. Other than all of that, it's great. (laughs) So we have a system that works on any house anywhere, but it requires local boots on the ground. That's what we built there. But the HVAC 101 chapter compares the HVAC system in your car, which everyone knows how to use intuitively, to the HVAC system in your house. And Housh had a funny story. He went to see a guy and he bumped him from a single stage piece of equipment to an inverter. And it was my chapter he credited largely for that. And the guy's like, so from what I understand, if I want to be comfortable, I should live in my car. (laughs) So we're going to go move to 100% mobile. I mean, it's like your business partner. That's Ted, right? Yep. Ted kid. Yep. Ted, he's going to move to his car for a little while. Yeah. He's been traveling in that. They're not doing a hotel every night because they can sleep comfortably in the car. Which is kind of crazy. It was that SUV one. I mean, that's kind of roomy. Plus, it has a dance package, too. That is so cool if you've ever seen that. Yeah, it's so cool. That's a Trans-Siberian Orchestra song. The whole thing <laughs> yeah. dances. Doors open and lights flash. Yeah, it's crazy. We're getting off on that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Electric cars are cool. We like everything electric, actually. In fact, uh, Electrify Everything is something you'll see me talk about a lot. And that's then, really cool. I created a Facebook group about that and it's a bunch of stuff. So it depends which basically political side you want to come at it from. But basically, if you want your life to work on clean energy, it needs to run on electricity. So tell me this, because I know that this is something that I probably should have asked from the get go, because the people who really get this probably have already skipped to the next episode. (laughs) But what do you say to combat the people who have always had gas furnaces and they say that a heat pump puts out cold air because that happens here a lot. So we have a lot of snowbirds that come or that maybe even retire here or to Hilton Head area and they've always had gas or oil and then they come here and we get constant service calls like my air conditioner is not putting out hot air anymore, but it's actually putting out 90 degree air, but it's not 130 degree air. It's just colder than their skin temperature. So it feels cold. Yes. The best thing there is, again, to have them read the chapter because I got tired of having that conversation. Oh, really? Okay, perfect. And you said which chapter was that one? That's the first one that's Home Comfort 101. So be careful with that one. Like I said, you can start people with HVAC 101. HVAC 101 doesn't really touch on home performance hardly at all. So it's safe to send out to pretty much anyone. And it should help you increase your closing ratio. Mike McRoberts just said the other day, he emailed it to someone and he got there. They're like, obviously you really care about what you do and you want to educate us. And we appreciate that. So we want to work with you. And then they bought a higher end piece of equipment. So by sending an email... He made a sale that he might not have otherwise, and he got a higher margin sale because he sold a better piece of equipment. That doesn't suck. Yeah, that's definitely the good one. That's whenever they call you and ask you for that stuff. It's really good because I find a lot that, especially the service techs, that's where I'm really having a hang up is the service techs are like, I don't know, $15,000 just because it runs all the time. I don't understand it. So like, why would I recommend anything more than a 14 seer system, single stage unit? Have them read the two chapters. They're free. And back to the heat pump question, heat pumps are actually really good at what's called mean radiant temperature. Do you know that term at all? Nope. 
okay, well, that's normal. I asked a room of HVAC contractors a while ago, it's like 30 or 35 HVAC guys said, who here knows what mean radiant temperature is? And not a hand went up. I'm like, all right, so 60% of human comfort is radiance based. 60%. And you don't know what the term means. Right. <laughs> not very important in our industry. Yeah, it's a, you literally don't know over half the equation. It's an important term. So what mean radiant temperature is, it is the average of the surface temperatures around you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could kind of take that from the mean. Yeah, exactly. It's, it does mean mean. It doesn't mean uh, nasty. Uh, <laughs> it's your, it's your mean uncle temperature. Uh, <laughs> that's not it. But what you want to do is make sure that you keep all the surfaces in a house above a certain temperature. You want to keep them in like the 70 to 75 degree range if you can. And that is easier to do with lower temperature outputs because the equipment will run longer and you also won't get stratification in the room. That leads into a different topic kind of, but leaving your thermostat set versus dropping the temperature down to 65 whenever you're not in the house. Tersh, I love you, man. <laughs> you connected the dots one to the next, boom, done. Yeah, don't turn your freaking thermostat back because you drop the surface temperatures around you and then your wife gets mad at you because everything's cold. Yeah, you go sit on a leather couch and you're like, <gasps> yeah, yeah, exactly. You goosebump. Yeah. That's why. Just find a temperature that's comfortable and set it that way. And then when clients are like, I like to sleep colder, I'm like, that's fine. Go change your dampers. Because with dampers, you can usually swing a room between two and six degrees. And that's typically all the more they want. Right. And they may be more comfortable like doing that versus actually setting the thermostat. Because so many times, especially here, we'll adjust the thermostat a little bit and then it'll get humid. And that gets irritating just as much as anything else. Yes. That's a male-female thing, which goes to uh, mean radiant temperature too. Because men on average have metabolisms 30% faster than women. So we sweat a lot. And if it's humid, our sweat doesn't evaporate. We get hot and irritable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we turn the thermostat down and then our wives are like, dang it, it's 68 degrees in here. I can't stand this. And then you get the thermostat war up, down, up, down, up, down, <laughs> yeah. where if you can do good dehumidification, which also requires aggressively sized, right sized equipment, that's usually inverter driven. If you want good dehumidification, you need that good equipment if you're going to keep everybody comfortable. It's so funny because I have a train system in my house that I put in right after we purchased. The house was built in 83. But it was built with two by sixes. And I mean, the guy that built it for 83, he was really going above and beyond. I'm talking way thicker wire than what you needed, like 12 gauge wire to everything, all the outlets. He overdid everything. But and the air conditioning unit was good back then. But now I put a train unit in with a TAM 9, TAM 8 air handler. And so it was variable speed. And my reason for doing that was because it had a high humidity load in the house. And so I wanted to dehumidify, but the electric bill was shooting up through the roof, but humidity was still not comfortable in the house. And in my office, I put in a 38 sear mini split and the whole house is more comfortable and the electric bill went down like $200 a month during the summer. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy how much of a change it made in the whole house. That is the beautiful thing about humidity. If you suck it out of one part of the house, you usually suck it out of the whole thing. Put some data loggers in. You learn all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> I need to get some of those. So what kind of data loggers do you recommend? Is it in Home Performance 2.0? Well, sort of. You can choose whatever you want. My personal favorite has been Fubot for several years. It's F-O-O-B-O-T. 
they're at a decent price point. They're 200 bucks a piece. And then they will make a deal. They'll sell three for 500 bucks because I like to put one on each floor of a house so I can watch what temperature and humidity are on different floors. Are those monitored remotely or do you have to collect all the data and then go pick them up and then? It's the remote that makes them key. So they have a good dashboard. So you can track them and create charts and graphs and whatnot with them. I'm going to do some videos on them shortly. I've been saying that for like a year and a half, but I'm close to actually doing it. But they track temperature, humidity, dust, PM 2.5, 2.5 micron particulate matter, and TVOCs, uh, volatile organic compounds, which is chemical pollutants. So those are the four keys that I must have for tracking air quality. I'd like to have CO2 or carbon monoxide if I could, but I can't. So I end up using those. But if you put those in, man, you'll learn stuff. And the big thing that it had taught us is, holy cow, we can't control humidity. Like we've got a bunch of client houses breaking 60% relative consistently. And that's the danger mark where all kinds of things start going sideways. Oh, yeah. That's when you start getting stuff growing in closets. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So you put those in, you're going to be like, oh, no. (laughs) And that's also where air sealing comes in. Because if a house is loose, it's like a leaky boat. You boat. You got water coming through the hull all the time. And then you have to pump it out where if you get a tight haul, the only water you get in is like when it comes over the side in some heavy waves. So you can deal with that. Being able to control that. It's so funny to talk to people. They're like, so wait a minute, you've tightened the house up. You've sealed the whole house up with foam. And now we have to put it in an ERV. So we're bringing in outside air. Yes, but it's controlled outside air. Yes. You know where the source is. People don't think about if you have a leaky house, where does the air come from? And it's probably coming from inside walls and inside the attic through the crawl space or the basements. Do you want to breathe air that comes through those spaces? Right. Do you want to go hang out in those spaces? Like I've been in those spaces. (laughs) Trust me, you do not want to be underneath the crawl space house. (laughs) No, they're gross. And you're breathing that air. So when you tighten a house enough to where you need to do mechanical ventilation or fresh air system, you do it with air that where you know where it's coming from and you can filter it and dry it. You can temper it. You can make it nice air. Mm. Anyway. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I know the listeners, they thank you too, because you have made something that is very complicated, not complicated. And I will definitely put a link to your book and to those FooBots in the show notes. And then if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Probably Facebook is best. So there's the Home Performance 2.0 Development Group is good. You can email me if you like to, but my email is getting so full that I'm getting terrible. That's nate at energysmartohio.com. But join the Home Performance 2.0 Development Group and just watch. You're going to lurk for a while. That's fine. Just join and hang out and then ask questions when you get comfortable. And if you're interested in figuring this stuff out, the first requirement is you need to give out HVAC 101 and maybe Home Comfort 101 if you're comfortable with it and tell us a story of what happened. So that's the first bar. The second bar is you want to read my book. Not that I'm trying to be egotistical, but like it will help you. And then you will not ask a bunch of questions that will take forever to answer. Then the Sandler sales book. And I know a lot of people are going to be like, ah, sales. Ah. Like I understand that. I hate selling too, even though I'm a trained sales guy. I don't like high pressure sales. This is not it. It's educate and offer options. That's what Sandler's about. The book for that is called You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I put that one in my kit recently. That's a good book. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And then you'll understand the whole process is built on Sandler. So we're building it so that you can take a newbie 
and send him out to do an initial consult. And as long as he knows how to run a blower door and follow a script, he's probably going to be able to do it. Where ironically, if we take a tech that's been out there for 10 or 20 years, it may grate on a whole bunch of the stuff they've learned. So they may struggle. Absolutely. I do that. I do that all the time. Yeah. Oh, me too. Like that's part of why Sandler's been so hard for me is I have traditional sales training. And then this is not that. So those are the two books. Read Home Comfort Book. Read You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. And then the technical requirements are not that big of a deal. You need to have an infrared camera and a FLIR one is fine. It's 200 bucks for a cheap one. You should have one anyway because they're just useful. And then you need to have a blower door. That's an absolute requirement. Do you recommend one brand over the other? Nope. I like them both. It's a Ford and Chevy argument. You're going to get somebody who's diehard one or the other, but they're both pickup trucks. They both haul stuff and they're both pretty reliable. So it's fine. Pick whatever you want. Cool. Well, thank you so much again. And if anybody needs you, they will definitely reach out to you. And if there's anything else that we can do on our end, please do not hesitate to let me know. Much appreciated, Tersh. I really appreciate what you're doing. It's so awesome, the podcast that you've done here. Oh, I appreciate it. It's a passion of mine. And it's funny because I don't get anything out of it other than relationships. Like people ask me constantly, well, what's your business get out of this? Actually, nothing. <laughs> but I build relationships, which has been awesome. You go to a show and you meet these people and it's really been great. So yeah, it's definitely a labor of love of mine. But anyways, we will definitely reach out to you again soon. And I look forward to chatting with you again shortly. Likewise. Thanks, Tersh. All right, man. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to the Service Business Mastery Podcast. I'm Brian Orr. This podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network, and you can find out more by going to bluecollarroots.com. You can also listen to this podcast at bluecollarroots.com. The best way to listen to a podcast is by doing so on an application on your phone, an app on your phone. So if you have an Apple phone, an iPhone, then you can use the little purple tower right on your phone, call the podcast app, and listen to this podcast anytime just by typing in Service Business Mastery in the search bar and hitting subscribe. Similar process if you are on an Android device, either download the Stitcher app, you can do it there, you can also do it within the Google Play Store, and just type in Service Business Mastery, hit subscribe, and then you won't miss any of the future episodes. Also, if you're willing, reviews in the podcast app or in iTunes really help the podcast grow. So if you enjoy what you hear here, then go on the podcast app and leave us a review. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time on the Service Business Mastery Podcast.